Well, if you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Where's the you? I was like, what? They just showed up all at once. Yeah, there they are. Matthew, chapter 5, this morning. If you haven't been with us, we are concluding this morning. So some of, I know there's some here that are going, amen, we're going to be done with the Beatitudes. Uh, we've been in them for two months, actually. We started the first Sunday in August, and uh, we are finishing up today, which is the last Sunday in September. And uh, so we're, I'm excited to, uh, to finish this this morning. But I really pray that it's been a good series for you, though. I really pray that the Lord has used it to teach you some things about how to find true happiness. Because as a Christian, I do believe with everything in me that, that God wants his followers to be happy. The problem is we misdefine what our, we, we, we define happiness differently than, than God does. Let's just say it that way. Um, we, we tend to be just like any other regular person. We look for happiness in, in exterior things. We look for it maybe in relationships or possessions uh, or jobs or relationships or anything like that. But, but Jesus tells us that true happiness is found inside, and, it, and it's a happiness that comes from having a settled peace, a peace that can't be uh, removed or taken away because of circumstance. It goes beyond your circumstance. So whenever your circumstances don't add up to a way in which you would think you can be happy, Jesus said it's in those moments that you are actually truly happy. And then he not only tells us these different characteristics that are happy, but he tells us why. And if you'll look at every single one of them, they are upside down principles from what our world would say. But there's a reason why when you, are, you and I are in these types of situations that we're truly happy. And it's because of the reason that he gives us or the promise that he comes about and tells us about. This morning is no different. As we finish today, uh, we're going to be looking at the last beatitude. Uh, and so if you have your uh, Bible open in Matthew 5, stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to actually read uh, from verse 1 now all the way down through verse 12. The Word of God says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase, and that, Father, the words that will be shared today would not be my words, but yours, and they will find the place you have for them in our hearts and our lives this morning. Father, you know each person that's here, you know their need this morning, and we pray that you would meet us at, in that need and teach us something new about you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
Well, this, this beatitude is no different than all the other ones, and we're going to look at it the exact same as we've looked at all of them, and that is we're going to look at the characteristic that Jesus says is blessed. And remember that word blessed literally translated happy. And so we're going to look at the characteristic that's blessed, and then we're going to look at some examples of that, and then we're going to finish with what Jesus says is the reason why that particular person is truly happy. And so this beatitude, as we looked at this first one, which is the blessed characteristic, which is the persecuted, this beatitude is a little bit different than all the others because it is the only one that he expands on. You see, in all the other ones, he, he gives you the characteristic and then he gives you the reason. He does that every time. But in, in verse 10, he gives you the, the characteristic as blessed or the persecuted. He gives you the reason for their... Comes back and, and teaches more on it for two more verses. Okay? So it's a little bit different in that it's the only one that he expands on, but it's like all of the other ones in that it is another upside down principle. As a matter of fact, it's probably the most upside down principle. And here's here's why. I mean, it is it is one thing to be meek, it is another, it's one thing to be merciful. It's one thing to be a peacemaker. It's one thing to be pure in heart. Um, it's one thing to be poor in spirit, etc. All of those, those are one things. But it's quite another to be persecuted. And, and here's, let me, let me say it like this. All of the other characteristics that he says are blessed might lead to persecution, but this is the guarantee of persecution. This isn't a characteristic that might lead you to persecution. It is the actual act of being persecuted. Now, there are some of us in this room that don't mind being peacemakers, and we may not mind being merciful, and we may not mind being meek or pure in heart or hungering and thirst for righteousness. We may not mind those so much, but when it comes to persecution, that's where many believers are going to draw the line. And so it's really important for us today to truly grasp this principle and really understand what Jesus is talking about. It is very important for us to accurately understand it. And so for us to, to really accurately understand what Jesus is talking about, let me, let me show you three aspects of this characteristic. The first thing is you need to understand the definition of persecution. You need to know what it means to be persecuted the way Jesus is talking about you see, because persecution is something that we often, in our day, in our culture, persecution is something that we often read about in Scripture. It's something that we see stories about in our Christian literature. Um, it is something that we uh, maybe hear about from uh, going to conferences and events when we have people from other countries come and share their testimonies with us. But it's not something that, if, if we were really truthful with ourselves, it is not something that we really understand or have experienced. At least not in the way in which Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the persecuted. You see, we need to understand that this is mainly due to the fact that we in America, and I'm thankful for this, so don't get me wrong this morning, but we in America have enjoyed some incredible freedoms for almost 250 years. One of those freedoms that we've been given is the freedom to worship God freely and to serve him freely. Now, that doesn't mean it hadn't come with some opposition. We, we see that from time to time. 
But we've been granted the freedom to choose who we want to follow, who we want to worship, who we want to serve, who we want to come together and exalt. We've been given the freedoms to come and do that. Whereas our brothers and sisters of Christ around the world haven't had that freedom. And that really, but this freedom, even though it's great, has really put us at a disadvantage when we try to understand what Jesus meant by persecution. Because we've never experienced it. We may have read about it or heard about it, but trust me, when we get into this, this is not something that by and large any American Christian has experienced. So what does persecution really mean? Biblical persecution, the persecution that is the type that Jesus says is blessed, what is that? Well, the word for persecuted here is the Greek word diako, and it literally means to make, to run, put to flight, to drive away through any means of harassment, trouble, or physical contact until the person or persons is completely out of sight. That's what persecution means. Now, I won't say that again because it's kind of long. The word diako means literally translated to make, to run, to put to flight, to drive completely away through any means of harassment, trouble, or physical contact until the person or persons is completely out of sight. Okay? That's what Jesus says is persecution. That is what is blessed. In other words, it means literally to chase them off using any and all means necessary. Now, you and I, we may have had a door slammed in our face. We may have people say bad things about us. We may have had them do things to us, but I dare to say very few, if any, of us have ever experienced being chased away using any and all means necessary until you were completely out of their sight. That's what persecution means in Jesus's day. And so it's hard for us to maybe grasp that because we haven't experienced that, but that is what Jesus says is persecution. Now, he not only tells us the, the definition of persecution, but we, he also goes on, Jesus does, and gives us some types of persecution. This is part of his expansion that he does in verses 11 and 12. He actually tells us three different types of persecution that are used to do this to us. The first one is found in verse 11, and that is, to, is verbal persecution. Look at it in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile you. Now, that word revile literally means to, to be verbally abused or to be insulted or scolded or mocked, okay? And, and so verbal persecution can be in the form of, uh, of laughter. It can be in the form of, uh, of scolding. It can be in the form of mockery. It can be in the form of hateful speech, uh, angry speech. But there are ways in which you and I can come under verbal persecution to the point that we might leave, okay? Now, that, that may happen to us. We may experience this kind of persecution verbally, right, as Christians. We see this in our culture today. If you stand much for Christianity or Christian principles, I guarantee you're going to get some verbal persecution. The, 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 the point is, 
I don't know that any of us have experienced verbal persecution to the point that we've ran away. We may experience it, but remember, persecution is doing any and all means necessary to get you to leave. Okay, and so this is extreme verbal persecution to be reviled. The second way is, he says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. And here's that word again. And when he puts it in this context, revile is talking about speech. And so the persecution would talk about action or physical contact. Okay, and and I'm going to go a little bit more into physical contact in a little bit. But we need to understand that in the history of the church, for over the last 2,000 years, by far the worst persecutions ever suffered by Christians was always physical, always physical, always having physical contact. This is the one that you and I probably have the least experience with. It's it's very rare for an American Christian, unless they're in a country as a missionary that's combative towards Christianity, it's very rare for American Christians to experience physical persecution. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, it's just very rare, okay? pastor friend of mine told a story about another pastor that went uh, door to door and was knocking on a door in Idaho. And when the guy opened the door, as soon as he said his name and what he was with, this guy had a hot cup of coffee and threw it in his face. So yeah, that would maybe uh, be a part of physical, uh, you know, physical persecution. That would really hurt. And and you would probably not stay there because you would need to go. And so it does happen. It's just not all that common in our culture. Uh, The third way he says that we get persecuted like this, not only verbally and physically, but look at the last thing he says in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So you could put this as the word scandalously. Scandalously. This is the idea where they make something up about you that's not true. This is to be spoken against. This is, involves lying about someone, lying about what someone says, twisting someone's words or actions for the purpose of trying to make them look bad or for the purpose of getting them to be quiet or for the purpose of getting them to leave your presence. And so they twist words and they do things like that. It's to be spoken of falsely. It's to say things about someone that you know is not true, but you say it anyway to try to get them to be quiet. And that's what it means to that. It's to bear false witness toward someone. Now, Now, this type of persecution is something I've actually experienced. I've experienced this on numerous occasions in my ministry, but probably the first experience I ever had with this, I was 21 years old, and I was a, a youth minister uh, at a, a church, a small church, and I was just part-time, and um, I had this guy um, in our church. He was a volunteer. He wasn't on staff, but, but he had been there a long, long time, and everybody kind of looked to him, and he called me one night. I missed one of the nights of our church revival. And the reason why I missed one of the nights of the church revival as a part-time youth minister is because I was on scholarship to sing in the choir and chorale at East Central University. We had a concert that night. And my pastor's wife was also in college in the chorale, and she wasn't there either because she was on scholarship. We were required to be at that concert. And so I missed the concert, or missed the the revival service. At 10 o'clock at night, I get a phone call from this elderly 
gentlemen in our church chewing me up one side and down the other about how I shouldn't have missed the revival because I'm on staff and I tried to tell him I know that but I didn't schedule the revival and I had this concert and I had to attend for my scholarship he said well if I was you I wouldn't double book myself and I was like I didn't double book anything I didn't schedule the concert I didn't schedule the the revival I just got caught in the middle of all this and so I told him I said I'm sorry I couldn't be there but I, I trust me and and I did say this my scholarship pays me a whole lot more than y'all do and that was true they paid me fifty dollars a week okay and so my scholarship was a lot more important to me for my school well I got to church the next week and I started hearing rumblings and things about two or three weeks later I resigned I was like because I wanted to focus on my school I wanted to finish and this on top of all that made it worse well then in the first committee meeting when they were going to replace me that man stood up and said you know what I made a lot of false accusations against our former youth pastor and before we go any further I, I need to admit that to you and I, I need to make that right and and the pastor said you, you're absolutely right you did and you do need to confess that to our church because they're the ones you told it to but you also need to call that young man and you need to let him know now he did one of those two he stood before the church and admitted to them but he never called me that as a 21 year old was my first experience of having false witness against me it's not been the last and it won't be the last it, that's just going to happen and that's what he's talking about here to bear false witness to someone for the purpose of getting them to leave or move on or do whatever it is to lie about them now that's the types now listen he gives us the last thing about the characteristic he gives us the reasons for this type of persecution now it's important important if you don't get anything else you better get these two things this morning because this is where the misconception comes the misconception is that any persecution is blessed persecution and that is not true Jesus gives two specific reasons for persecution that is a cause of blessing the first one is for righteousness sake look back in verse 10 blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake not, now that's very specific for righteousness sake means to be persecuted for your stand of righteousness or for your righteous words and actions in a world that is totally contrary to or combative towards or to stand on righteousness when you're all by yourself even sometimes in the midst of the church when you stand on righteousness and you become persecuted verbally physically or scandalously that is a blessing that's the kind of persecution's blessing it's when you are doing it by standing on righteousness the second one that he's very clear about is and found in verse 11 look at it blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake so the second reason for true persecution that's blessed is to be persecuted because of jesus more specifically because of the light of jesus shining through you it's to be persecuted because of you being an example or a follower or obedient to jesus himself now I want you to understand those are two very specific reasons and it's important that we understand them because not all persecution is the blessed kind for example 
persecution that comes to you for being mean or disrespectful or objectionable in your conduct, that's not blessed persecution. So don't go out and beat someone up and have someone persecute you and then say, I'm blessed. <laughs> no, you're not, because you weren't being persecuted for righteousness' sake, and you're not being persecuted. Uh, uh, persecuted for Jesus' sake, you're being persecuted for ignorance' sake. That, that's, that's, that's reality. Persecution coming from being immature or unwise. Just being, very theological word here, just being dumb. That's not persecution that's blessed. We're told to have wisdom in our life. As a matter of fact, What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I love the book of Proverbs. If you don't want to, if you want wisdom, read the book of Proverbs. One of my favorite is, "He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm." If you and I want to be persecuted for something, be persecuted for righteousness, or be persecuted for Jesus, don't be persecuted for being unwise. And, and, and doing things that are immature. The, uh, uh, here's another one. Persecution coming from blatant or unrepentant sin is not blessed persecution. Now, that's very specific. Blatant and unrepentant sin. If you get caught in sin, blatant sin, and you repent of that sin, and they still come and attack you verbally, physically, or scandalously, that is blessed persecution. But if you get caught in sin, blatant sin, and you refuse to repent of that sin, and then verbal or physical or scandalous persecution comes that way, that's not blessed persecution because you haven't even done what Jesus himself said to do. You're definitely not standing for righteousness if you have blatant, unconfessed sin in your life and you refuse to repent of it. But if you are repentant, and you have repented, and you have made that right, and people still come against you, verbally, physically, or scandalously, that's blessed persecution in that manner. So Jesus says the truly blessed are those who are persecuted, but it's very specific. It's those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and those who are persecuted for his sake. Now, what does this look like? And we're almost done. I, I promise this by far was the longest point. But what does this look like? What are some examples that we can look at? Well, over the past 2,000 years, there's been many examples that we know of, both in Scripture and in history, of people who have been persecuted verbally, physically, scandalously, one, two, three, all one here and there, individually or all together. We've seen many examples of them. For example, the disciples of Christ, all of them experienced severe persecution. Many of them experienced not only physical persecution, but verbal and scandalous persecution. For example, Stephen. They made up accusations against Stephen that wasn't right. Then they verbally assaulted Stephen, and then, when worse come to worst, they physically persecuted him and stoned him until he died. Paul, we're told, was stories were made up about him. He was scandalously 
attacked. And then they verbally attacked. And he even survived being physically attacked on more than one occasion. And so there are many examples from Scripture from the disciples themselves, uh, but there's also many historical examples as well. If you've never read like Fox's Book of Martyrs, or um, there's two volumes of this book, Jesus Freaks, volume one and volume two, which is just story after story after story of the persecuted believers from around the world. And they, they range all the way back from early first century believers all the way up through modern day. And they're just, they're incredible stories of persecution. And so let, let me share with you a few um, just from the disciples. Now, these men had been warned that persecution was coming, as Brother Chuck had said. Here's a few of them. James the Less, at age 94, I'm going to say that again, at age 94, was beaten and stoned by the Jews and finally had his head smashed by a fuller's club at 94 years old. Matthias was stoned at Jerusalem and then beheaded. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified on a cross. Mark was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria. Paul was beheaded. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Simon was crucified. But here's the one that stuck out to me. James, the son of Zebedee, the elder brother of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was beheaded. But the story is that on his way to be martyred, James' accuser, the one who accused him, was so impressed by his courage and conviction that that man repented of his sin, professed himself to be a Christian, and was beheaded right along with James. We have countless stories of the church coming under immense persecution. Matter of fact, let me, let me read this and then we're going to move on. I want you to listen to William Barclay from his book, Growing in Christian Faith. All the world knows of the Christians who were flung to the lions or burned at the stake, but these were kindly deaths. Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch and set them alight and used them as living torches to light his gardens. He sewed them into the skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pincers. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Red-hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their very eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them, lengthening the agony. These things are not pleasant to think about, but these are the things a man had to be prepared for if he took his stand for Christ. That's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the persecuted. Now, how in the world would someone about to face that kind of persecution, how in the world are they blessed or could 
they be blessed? And, and, and maybe a better question is, how could anyone really go through that? I mean, I want you to think about that for a moment. How could you go through that? I mean, if we can't get something said bad about us without responding, how in the world would we go through that without responding? Well, the, the answer is found in the last thing, and that is the cause for the blessing. Look at it again in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus concludes this beatitude with the same promise and guarantee that he did the first beatitude. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's the only one that's duplicated. He, he makes the same promise to those who are persecuted that he does to those who are poor in spirit, and that is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, why do you think he chose that? I mean, he could have said, I mean, he could have said the same thing that he told those who mourn. Like He could have said, blessed are you who are persecuted, for you shall be comforted. He could have said that. But why did he choose this one? I believe he chose this one because... How else would anyone be able to truly endure persecution, true persecution, even to the point of death? I think the only way for that to happen is for them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had a guaranteed eternal inheritance. You see, I may be willing to suffer a little bit if I know someone's going to be there to comfort me, but I'm, I'm willing to, to suffer a whole lot more when I realize that I have a guaranteed inheritance in heaven awaiting for me. That's how every single believer who ever faced the type of persecution that Jesus talked about could do so with confidence, sometimes even with a smile on their face. I guarantee you ought to read Fox's Book of Martyrs or the Jesus Freaks books. Those stories are incredible. To, to, to know certain death is coming and to look it in the eye and smile. To be able to tell the person about to take your life, I forgive you. Even more so, to look at the person that's using your own family to persecute you by taking their life one by one, seeing if you would recant in front of them. How could you look at that person and still be true to your faith? There's only one way, and that is to have the guarantee of what's on the other side. And that's why Jesus finishes this beatitude the same way as he started it. You and I, if we're going to endure persecution, the type that's going to bring blessing, we do so because we know what's on the other side. And what's on the other side is complete and total victory from all of it. We have an inheritance awaiting for us that where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hurt, no more suffering, no more death, no more tears. All of that will be left behind. And when we have that in the form of a guarantee, we're a lot more willing to suffer for Christ. And that's why he finished it. And that's the reason why they're blessed. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.